Welcome to the Breathe Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and creativity. We interview artists from all walks of life to discover how faith plays a role in their art and expression, hoping to encourage you to live a life of creativity and faith. And now, please welcome your co-hosts, Derek Engoy, Christian Mendoza, and Kevin Horton. Yup, yup. Welcome back to the Breathe Faith and Creativity podcast from Torrance, California. I am Derek Engoy, chiming in from Cerritos, California. We got Chris Mendoza. What up, Chris? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. And from Long Beach, California, who just got off of work at the illustrious and fabulous Knott's Berry Farm, we got Kevin Horton. What's up, Kevin? I'm so not yo. (laughs) But you are fly. (laughs) <laughs> I am fly. That is why I'm so not yo. <laughs> Man, that's that, that's so that's so cool. Hey, so how you guys doing uh, this past week? We're almost done with April, and it just seems like life is moving along, and you know the world is opening up a little bit. People are getting vaccinated, or people are choosing not to get vaccinated. Either way, it seems like life is on the move. Um, numbers are down yeah. in terms of hospitalizations and deaths because of COVID. Uh, so th- it's it's it, it's looking like we're slowly getting back to normal. Kevin, how's how how are things? Like you say, slowly opening up, and I'm I'm just very very thankful, and I'm I'm approaching this week my second shot of Pfizer. So okay. I'm very very thankful that. I get to do that because it 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 just makes you feel better. So you're gonna get your free donuts from Krispy Kreme now that you're. Uh... You, you bet I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm fly, but that's why because I'm stuck with sugar and I'm just yeah, I'm just man. as sweet as a as a donut. Yeah. So so Krispy Kreme is gonna give everybody diabetes, right? Exactly. <laughs> or cavities, one of the two. You, you might not have COVID, but you're gonna get diabetes for sure. All the dentists are like, yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Man, I tell you, I tell you guys this much though, when things like this happen and when entities start partnering up, you, you just gotta wonder, man, is everybody in <laughs> is everybody in cahoots? You know, it's yeah, like, right. man. Hey Chris, how are you been? Uh doing chill. Uh I'm getting my shots. I'm getting shot up this Friday. <laughs> so <laughs> myself. So yeah, I'm getting vaccinated. Uh, so, first uh, or second? Uh first. Vaccination across the nation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing that. And then Pastor Michelle also asked me to do a, a painting series on balancing of the lightness and dark for the church. And so yeah, I'm I'm uh, underway. I've done about four images for it. Uh-huh. And yeah, I'm excited for it. How about you? Oh man, it, you know, before we hit record, um, you know, I was telling you, Chris, that we went to the beach. No, it was nice. You know, I I, don't, I usually don't go into the water or anything like that, and so I just got my chair, had my little uh, straw hat to protect me from the sun. I just watched the boys and Marissa. Uh, had you know, they just splashed around in the water. They got on their boards, their surfboards and boogie boards, and it was nice. It was nice to sit there and and watch them enjoy the beautiful Pacific Ocean. Uh, I preached uh, yesterday. Oh, there you go. Yeah, on inclusion. Out How'd of, that go? Oh, it went really well. Acts 8, Ethiopian eunuch and Philip and their encounter there talked about, you know, again, the inclusion, not just with folks who are differing in maybe you could say uh, sexuality, because I did talk about that because of the eunuch having no mm-hmm. 
specifically define genitalia because he was castrated, yeah. of course. Um, but, you know, we also talked about what does it mean to be a believer and live a life of inclusion toward those who are ethnically different, culturally different, you know, socioeconomically different, as well as who think differently when it comes to the spectrum of uh, sexuality and orientation. And so it was good. Uh, you know, got a couple of emails afterwards, just people not mad, uh-huh. and not, not, not angry, of course, but curious. And, uh-huh. you know, I brought up some things that they didn't know prior to hearing the sermon uh, and you know me when I go, when I dig, I dig and, and, and I bring mm-hmm. not just the word, but the context and, and, and theology and all that stuff. And so it was good. It was gr- a great uh, sermon and you know, I had a good time. Yeah. All right. Hey guys. So let's go ahead with this icebreaker question. Uh, let's go with this. So hypothetically, if there was one thing you can change on this earth. What do you guys think it would be? Let's go with you, Kevin. You want to, want to go ahead and tackle that? If there's one thing I'd like to change, I would like to make Pacific uh, Daylight Savings Time normal across the world so it doesn't have to figure out which clock I need to change and realize <laughs> I, there's certain clocks I haven't changed in all these years and go, by the time I get there to change it, it's going to change again. Well, you know how that's possible, Kevin, is is if we split the globe and truly make our planet flat and we will truly be like the flat earth <laughs> conspiracy. Flat earth theory, baby. <laughs> That's the I way. I almost thought you were going to say. I almost thought you were going to say, "Make the planet fly," <laughs> like you. Oh man, are we going fake news? <laughs> okay, how about no? You, Eric? We're going fly news. <laughs> <laughs> you know, quite honestly, uh, you know, I would change the concept of world religions. Quite honestly, um, okay. maybe even eliminate the religious labels altogether. Um, yeah, you know, from a purely organizational lens. Religiosity has been the source of many of our world's issues, and mm-hmm. many examples of hate, pain, and trauma can be traced back to religious control over the individual or groups of people. And it may sound oxymoronic of me to say, given that you know I'm an ordained pastor, but really my allegiance is to Jesus, and it isn't to Christianity. And yeah. if you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. So when you think about it, <clears throat> Jesus didn't even come to establish a religion. He didn't even come to establish what we know of today as Christianity, right? Jesus came to show what the kingdom of God could look like here on earth. And when you think about it, the kingdom of God doesn't look like Christianity, at least through the mm-hmm. Western lens, more specifically. Now, having said that, I'm I'm not going to go on this crusade or anything like that to dismantle the religions of the world yeah. that I associate with specifically, but I'm also not bowing down to the organization we know of as Christianity, right? I, I love yeah. uh, the biblical writer, uh, James, who arguably is Jesus's half-brother, um, mm-hmm. and he defined religion as this in his letter, right? He said, religion that is pure and undefiled, or defined before God of God the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself mm-hmm. un- keep one st- oneself um, unsteadiness from the world. And see, I can get down with that. You know, if, if, if that is the way of the kingdom, right, sign me up for it. Mm-hmm. If religion was yeah, all about yeah. visiting orphans, you know, and visiting widows in their affliction and really trying to stay pure before the world, then I'm all for that. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's under the umbrella of Christianity. It's just, that's the way of the kingdom. Right. And yeah. so if there is one thing I could change, it would be this concept of organized religion. And I know it's a yeah. tall, tall order to ask, but you know that's one thing I, I would change. How about you, Chris? Uh, probably mine would be no locks, no oh, okay. locks in the world, because like when people automatically think they're like, oh, well, we have locks on doors and passcodes for a computer. We 
we have all these security measures and it's like well if we didn't have any of that that would be a perfect world for me mm. and the reason being is you know, most people would be like oh well wait well people are going to come into my house and steal all my stuff and they're gonna you know we, we automatically get so protective over our possessions but if we had no locks that means and no keys and no passwords that means nobody's living in lack mm. everybody's respecting each other's boundaries right and it's almost utopian but sure. Yeah, I don't know. Is humanity? I don't know if we're responsible enough to be able to get to that point. But it would be awesome if it if it could happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, before we get on to the rest of the show today, uh, don't forget we do have a brand new Instagram page. And thanks to everyone who's recently connected to us through Instagram. But if you're not following us yet, make sure to check it out. And uh, for news and updates, and our IG handle is at breathe.podcast. And help us out by spreading the word. And I also want to take the time to remind everyone to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Buy us a hamburger. <laughs> Buy me a milkshake. Because I'm fly just as much as a milkshake is chocolate. <laughs> Let us know how we're doing. Show us some love. You can even list out some questions you may have that you'd like us to address on the show. And we'll do our best to get to them in a timely manner. Of course, if you pay us 500 bucks, that question goes to the top of the heap, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and make sure you hit that subscribe button to get notifications every time we release a new episode. And finally, of course, Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Don't forget about our Patreon page. Thank you again for those who currently support this podcast through your financial giving on the Patreon page. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Derek Ngoy and you can see how you can support. We have levels as low as $1 a month, uh, 3 10 and 20 and each tier contains additional rewards as our way of saying thank you. We've been posting our interviews in its entirety. And so if you want to hear the unedited, uncut version of our interviews, uh, make sure you head over to Patreon, give us a support, and you can access all those as well. Spread the word too, um, because your words, if you can't support financially, you spreading the word will definitely help us. So head on over to Patreon today, show your support, and thanks ahead of time for all the love. Okay, so over the course of uh, the season, there's been a theme of uh, healing and therapy. Yeah, uh, we've been focusing more yeah. so from the religious and artistic point of view. So I thought, you know, let's balance this out by getting a scientific viewpoint. Mm. And I decided to contact our friend and uh, licensed and marriage family therapist from San Francisco, Cecile Bessia. Bay Area, but yeah, Bay Area, right? But we had such a great interview that we actually Fan decided Francisco. to make this a two. Yeah, we made this a two-part episode, and the second half will actually be airing two weeks from now. But what are what are the or what are the the questions I'd like to ask? You know, based on the interview, is over the last decade or so, uh, you know, me personally, I've had to deal with depression, and so have you guys. Mm -hmm. And whether it be through art, science, and religion, I've kind of come to realize that there's a common theme to all of them, and it's truth. Mm. I mean. The, things such as introspection, therapy, emotional healing, expression, self-love, authenticity, they're all shared by science, art, and religion. Yeah. But throughout the history, these three sectors of society or schools of thought, they've chosen to kind of stay away from each other. And they almost have a kryptonite effect uh, with each other. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you guys think that is? Although, like, they might have the same goals, which is truth. I mean, Derek, let's go with you. Like, what do you guys, what do you think the differences are? 
Well, you know, the way I see it, and of course this is a generality, um, but it's really religion, quite honestly, that mm-hmm. tends to repel art and science and not the other way yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, art throughout history has embraced religion in many ways, you know, evident by, you know, evident it being religion, of course, evident by it being the subject of many pieces of art, whether it be Da Vinci's Last Supper or yeah. I'm thinking Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son piece. You know, artists and painters mm-hmm. have imagined God in their works of art. And mm-hmm. you can say the same thing with science, right? There are many scientific mm-hmm. principles that have God as, well, at least, you know, as least one of the many explanations for certain theories, um, mm-hmm. you know, meaning to say some scientific principles don't rule out God. Um, I think about the concept of intelligent design, right? Or even mm-hmm. deploying Occam's razor when suggesting that God is the simplest explanation of the universe. And so you have art and science, including God or the concept of God or concept of religiosity. But it seems that religion has done a lot of the repelling of the other two mm-hmm. in our history. Maybe not so much now, because I think we're seeing that a lot, right? With you know, yes. I remember a few episodes ago, Chris, you told your dad that you were painting at the church, and he was surprised because coming yeah. from his mentality, it's like, wow. A church is allowing art to, you know, be conducted in its space. And so, again, maybe not so much now, um, but in religion's history, again, maybe more specific to the West, in religion's history, it, it has pushed art and science to the fringes. And and maybe I'm coming across as just blaming religion, but I think it has a lot to do with why the three have a hard time coexisting with, with each other is because of religion's effect or, or, again, repelling of the other two. So that's what I would say. That's kind of... My thoughts on the matter. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? What do you think? Uh, why, do, why do you think that uh, art, science, and religion aren't getting along? Well, as far as art, you could see things like the Sistine Chapel and Van Gogh and all of those things that work together to be influences. Then you look at science, and I think of a book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, mm-hmm. who... And then also evidence that demand, demands a verdict, which was put on by through with Campus Crusade and Josh McDowell, where he he basically used science to prove the Bible. So art and science work together. What I really think is the polarizing part of that, like Derek was mentioning, and I, I'm trying to think about when you have two magnets with one positive and one negative, or is that right? Or, or a plus and a minus, you try to put them together. Mm-hmm. They won't go together because they polarize. And you, you, the more you try and do it, you, you've got this invisible force that's in there pushing them back. And I think it's religion because people can talk about art. They know about science because science, you can feel, you can, you can see, and you can prove it. Religion mm-hmm. is the part where we know that we could prove it because we've, in our own minds, we've somehow proven its validity to ourselves, which allows to our faith. Something that Hebrews 11 talks about faith and how faith is the evidence of things not seen. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right, Pastor Derek? Yeah. You, you know, so, I. Oh, go ahead. So, in that, I think the polarizing part is religion because people are. A, a lot of people are afraid to discuss it because either they think it's a too personal subject to talk about or they're too afraid of offending somebody else. Well, yeah, you know, b- before um, we hear from you, Chris, but I, I was just thinking, yeah. Go ahead. you know, because with faith or with religion, you know, 
religion is a means to explain things, right? Why, why does the world exist? Why, you know, who created it, what created it, whatever religion, and not just from the Christian bent, but just that's what all religions aim to do is explain the mysteries of the universe. And so there's this, there's this notion that religion wants to capitalize the market on the explanation and anything outside of that, you know, is secondary or, you know, inferior to. So science, you know, is inferior to religion in that, no, science, you can't explain the universe. You can't explain God. So we are of faith backgrounds. We are religion. So we're going to explain it. And I think, you know, when you even look at like, you know, some of the, you know, narratives in the Bible, I mean, they studied the stars. I mean, come on, yeah. like how scientific can you get, you know, when you're studying yeah. the constellations when, you know, you, I mean, for goodness sake, it's well, like the, the astrology. yeah, astrology. it's, 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 you got the Jesus star, the star of David, that was the mm-hmm. ultimate compass to Jesus. And you had folks yeah. following the star. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> it's like, come on now. Like, like scientific can it get, right? that's right. You know? And so I think it's ridiculous that there has been this somewhat separation between religion and, and, and science where, I mean, why can't you have both? I mean, why, 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 you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I heard it once say, you know, all truth is God's truth. Well, if, if, there, if there's truth in science, then it's God's truth too. So, I mean, yeah. what's, what's the deal? What about you, Chris? Uh, my whole thing is I just think that, I mean, you know how high school, it's like a microcosm of, of our, our, our population, right. Or humanity in general. And it's like, you're, you're not going to have like, let's say like a super religious person and then Kurt Cobain, you know, and then you're going to have, uh, like a, like a Stephen Hawking. Are they going to get along? And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with, it's just the super extreme polarities of each school of thought. Yeah. It's them feeding that, oh, we're better, we're better. Yep. Oh, forget them, forget them. And so all the people caught in the middle, they kind of feed those divisions. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, I don't hang out with mm-hmm. jocks. Or, oh, I don't hang out with 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 Bible, mm-hmm. Bible thumpers. I don't hang out with scientific people. Or I don't hang out with artists because they're always depressed and angry and mad. <laughs> yeah. And I think what it is, is <laughs> it's just a lack of understanding from each other. But at the same time, Remember how how we're all trying to secretly kind of become each other? Derek, I've been drawing left-handed. <laughs> nice. Uh, Kevin is doing poems, you're drawing, and it's like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we're we're all sharing from each other. Right. It's like with uh, with art, right? Like the mural. I I I'm painting Jesus, which is religion. Yeah. And I'm also using a grid system, which is science. Yep. And then with religion, you know, hey, they sing and they paint. And guess what? They also they also take into consideration psychotherapy with emotional healthy spirituality, the, the Peter Scazzaro class, right? Right. And then yeah, and then science, when I went to psychotherapy, they're like, hey, why don't you draw some art? That'll that'll be a real good indication of where you are emotionally. And they also said this too. Hey, you need to believe in a higher power. Hmm. That's religion right there. And it's yeah. like, why are they all getting like, dude, they all secretly love each other and they're all friends, but it's the extreme poles. I think those are the ones that 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 just kind of feed the divisions. So with all that said, this is one major uh, puzzle piece to healing. It's science. And so you'll also be surprised that, you know, that all these disciplines are borrowing from each other and they're more alike than most people realize. So here's our friend from San Francisco, California, licensed marriage family therapist, Cecile Cecibacia. 
And this week, uh, the lady I'm about to introduce you to, I'm going to, I'm rolling the, uh, the breathe mobile to the Bay area. And previous to this, you know, like we were both like in student, you know, uh, associations and we were both performers and that's how we kind of connected. And initially it started through art and then we connected through science because she ended up being, uh, uh, a psychotherapist and I'm a respiratory therapist and now we're connecting spiritually and that's what's even cooler is we're connecting on three separate phases and it's just somebody that who understands me at a fundamental level uh my homegirl Ceci Basia how are we doing hey what up <laughs> just as the podcast recommends Yeah. so like here's one thing for an icebreaker before we even start the interview I mean what's one of the things over quarantine that you've picked up, whether it be like a hobby or an activity that kind of uh, has helped you heal during, during this time period. Ooh, um, different versions of the hand pan. Uh-huh. Uh, just in what ways? Uh, well, they're called, uh, I have a tongue drum and a rav drum. So they're not like official hand pans. But. I've seen those. They're kind of like the turtle shell, right? Exactly. It's kind of like an inverted, the inverted uh, steel drum. All right, yep, go ahead. Exactly. Go ahead and explain yeah. it. Exactly, exactly what you said, like an inverted steel drum. Um, there's one mm-hmm. that I have that's the scale of um, F sharp, which is focused on the heart and compassion. Mm-hmm. So when I desperately need uh-huh. compassion for myself or other people, I play that one. Um, and then I have one that's um, in the scale of G major or G minor. I forget which one. And that one I play when it's more that I need to move some energy that's stuck in me. Uh-huh. Um, but also slowing down has been, I guess, like something I've tapped into more, like just slowing uh, the F down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I think everyone's kind of le- learning how to do that, especially with quarantine. Right. Uh, so Ceci, let's go ahead and go with a quick bio before we get into like some of the, the deeper aspects of depression and therapy, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on, but, uh, let's go ahead with the quick bio, Ceci. I mean, let's, let's go with it. Quick bio. That's so funny because like you said, letting go of the ego is kind of key, right? Yeah. <laughs> so come back to defining myself. It's almost like counterproductive to healing. I guess I'll give the bio in relationship to, to this work. So I'm a a marriage and family therapist, organizational psychologist, Reiki practitioner, past life regression hypnotherapist. I started that kind of path, studying sociology when we Mm -hmm. met, Uh, sociology and Mm -hmm. Philippine-American studies, you know, all the three Mm -hmm. or four classes that were available at the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. Right. Um, And then I went into uh, psychology. Uh, both individual, the micro, and also the macro, um, organizational and global. I'm born and raised here in San Francisco. I moved to Long Beach where I uh, went to Cal State Long Beach with you. Um, I was there for nine years, then I came back here um, with no real plan, <laughs> and things just kind of unfolded. Um, but yeah, I've been practicing here. I have private practice and I also work with urban services of the YMCA. So with Ceci, like as far as like, uh, like how, how was there like a key moment that got you into therapy? Like what, what, what was it that, that brought you like your calling to do therapy and to help people? There, there's no key moment. I would say 
It's probably just a whole bunch of uh, subtle, small, cumulative moments. You know, I think about even when I went into sociology, there was an aspect um, related to the idea that, you know, when I was younger, I I actually asked my mom if I could go to to see a therapist. And her response was... At what age? A teenager, probably maybe like somewhere between 13 to 17. Yeah, her response was you're not crazy. And that was kind of the end of it. So in, in kind of like seeking to understand um, my own human experience, what the classes that were just exciting to me and uh, revelatory and just eye-opening were things like sociology and psychology. It was kind of like, okay, I couldn't go to see a therapist with such uh, stigmas uh-huh. that were connected to it. So I just studied the hell out of it. Yes. <laughs> and then it all just kind of unfolded. Um, mm. So one piece is um, def- redefining our relationship to emotions. So, you know, on, on one hand, there's this concept that it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seen as vulnerability and weaknesses. However, you need to be a strong motherfucker mm-hmm. to feel the feelings that are there. And when we think about this, right, if we think yeah, about the exactly. stigma, around um, emotions of discomfort, thinking about where does that come from and what culture does that come from? So kind of, you know, leaning into the uh, themes that have come up uh, in the last year, really kind of leaning into the question of how did we even get here? How did we get to a place where... um, one, emotions were so stigmatized, um, but really looking at uh, the constructs that um, contribute to things that we call depression, trauma, and anxiety. Yeah, Leah, let's go into some of those. I mean, uh, what are some of the key factors, you know, to dealing with depression and anxiety and, and past trauma? One, one key factor um, is being in right relationship to these things. The, the words depression and anxiety and trauma um, themselves, mm-hmm. I don't even actually like to use because they're so pathologizing and they give this kind of perception uh-huh. that something is wrong with yes. you. So like one of the key pieces mm-hmm. is to realize that there is nothing wrong with you. Um, we live in a system that is, it doesn't support the development of the human soul. And so when we think of words like depression, anxiety, and trauma, uh, they are the soul and the human's reaction to a system that really separates the soul um, from the experience. So um, just as a person, not even as a therapist, I mean, how have you been dealing with lockdown? Because, uh, yeah, we just know that people are kind of acting crazy. Like we got hate crimes going on. We got protests. We got people dying in the streets. Like, so, so how are you dealing with it? My, myself as a therapist and myself as a person, they're not separate. And so when we think about trauma, let, let's kind of like jump back into that piece. Right. Um, and, and even going back to trauma, anxiety, and depression, um, think about who mm-hmm. even created these concepts. So there, there are these concepts created by, mm-hmm. Um, the dominant Western culture, typically the the colonizing cultures mm-hmm. um, that say something is wrong with you yeah. if you are not um, acculturating and assimilating to this capitalist world. 
And one key factor in, in all of uh, trauma, depression, and anxiety, which they're, they're all pretty looped together, um, is the concept of being separated from the self. Um, so even this concept of like, mm. um, you know, when you go to work, that you don't bring your whole self there. That is um, mm-hmm. a concept that's related to trauma. It's the split soul. And so when we talk about mm-hmm. healing from things like uh, trauma or just healing in general, thinking about the concept of that, healing means to become whole mm-hmm. again. So really bringing all mm-hmm. of you um, into one space, uh, especially in the workspace and not having to separate the self. So kind of want to start there. So to, to kind of lean into that mm-hmm. question, um, how am I doing as a, as a person, um, as a therapist? And, and I think the question is like, how am I navigating all that? Yeah, like during lockdown, because it's like we're trying to give people, you know, the insider view because we brought pastors in saying how they're dealing with spiritual, right. you know, uh, unrest right now. And right. we're saying, okay, well, well, how's the therapist dealing with it? Because a lot of the people that are listening, they're kind of like, hey, what's going on? We don't know. So how, how, how are we doing, dealing with it? I would say I'm, I'm leaning in to all of the discomfort. Uh-huh. There's a concept in, in indigenous healing that's different from, uh, let's say, like colonized healing or Western healing or the colonized mind, mm-hmm. um, where part of yes. the work that we do in our soul journey and in our uh, journey and, and rites mm-hmm. of passage as a human, as a soul, um, is to mm-hmm. walk in, um, I wish I could show you a picture. If we look at indigenous cultures all over, over the world, they mm-hmm. connect to the multidimensional nature of the human by looking at um, mm-hmm. the, the four directions and also uh, the five elements. And so each direction mm-hmm. um, has a symbology and archetypes of different parts of the soul. And um, if mm-hmm. we look at the East, uh, it is typically going to be related to the element of air, which is the realm of the mind and the mental experience, which mm-hmm. this Western culture is super like, uh, totally glorifies the mind. I mean, we think of even the concept of mental health. Yes. Uh, true mental health is not mm-hmm. just the mind. So we can't even look at, you know, the way that the language mm-hmm. perceives mental health, that that it's just in the mind. Um and then if we look at the South, it's the element of fire. And uh, this is the spiritual experience, mm-hmm. that unique thing that makes you you, mm-hmm. the unique things that you value, the things that you're passionate about and love to create. Um, and then if we look into the West, mm-hmm. um, this is the land of, well, one, the element of water, which is the emotions or uh, the energy mm-hmm. that's in motion. Um, In contrast to the East, right, where it's the land of the rising sun, the West is the land of the setting Mm -hmm. sun. So these are the shadow lands. So Mm -hmm. this is the place where um, Mm -hmm. often when folks are doing work in therapy, you're meeting the, quote, shadow Mm -hmm. parts of yourself that you've put into exile, you put into hiding, either because Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have capacity to tolerate and accept that part of ourself, or we're in um, circumstances Uh that... um, make it difficult for us to quote be accepted if we bring those parts of ourselves mm-hmm. um so in in the land of the west um the shadow lands this is where uh, typically i mean the, the most uncomfortable emotions are and uh-huh. um part of the concepts of indigenous cultures is that 
if you have not experienced the land of the West and uh, these, uh, quote, shadow parts, these, you know, in, in the whole mm-hmm. infinite spectrum of emotions, if you have not experienced those, quote, dark, uh, uncomfortable parts of yourself, you haven't really lived. You haven't even experienced the full mm-hmm. spectrum of being um, a soul in human form. A lot of healing is is going to be about looking about or looking at our relationships to emotions. Why are they the way that they are? And um, what type of system does that support? For for one kind of concept, you know, you hear this idea of good and bad emotions. There are no good and bad emotions. Some are uncomfortable and some are enjoyable. And so if we look at uh, the colonizer's culture or the you know the dominant western cultures mm-hmm. relationship to two emotions uh-huh. it's uh, i, I want to say like it's incomplete like you know there are phrases like when when you begin to tap into emotions <clears throat> these phrases like get it together pull yourself up from your bootstraps and and when we do that it's really just a concept of like don't lean into that emotion because that emotion may very well let you know that you don't want to comply with the system that we've created that you're a part of. So mm-hmm. even thinking about like kind of going back to that concept of mental health and how it's not just the mind. Mm-hmm. And again, looking back at this concept of uh, trauma specifically. So trauma is is separation mm-hmm. from the self, separation from each other and separation from uh, the natural world. And when we look into that concept of separation from the self, we've been... Um, taught and conditioned to separate ourselves from our other wisdom. So yes, there's there's the quote cognitive wisdom or the wisdom of the mind. There's also the wisdom of the heart and the body. The heart is literally mm-hmm. a neural network system. The body, uh, particularly mm-hmm. the gut, is literally a neural network system. And when we uh, experience uh, the wisdom of the heart, we're Typically, if it's um, an emotion that is uncomfortable, it's just like physical pain. Uh It's letting us know that there's something either in the external environment or the internal environment that is not aligned with either your authentic self or or that which you desire. And so when when we ignore those uh, messages from the heart, we're kind of uh, settling to, to live in a life that is not what we prefer. And when we lean into it and actually take a look at that thing that we don't like or do not prefer, there is the foundation to help us know what is it that we actually do want. So there's a lot of value in mm-hmm. really looking at what is it about this thing that makes me feel like irritated. Let's just say that for an example. If if the thing that's making me irritated is that when I work with this person, they are constantly interrupting mm-hmm. me. So there, now I've got data mm-hmm. to look at. Okay, what does that show me about actually what I do prefer? I prefer give and take mm-hmm. in work relationships. I prefer balance. I prefer someone who listens. And then I can redirect my mm-hmm. um, energy, my focus, and, and really my reprogramming of my brain and uh, my patterns and templates to um, mm-hmm. create uh, different scenarios and situations where I do have those kind of partnerships. And sometimes as well, like particularly when we think about trauma or those experiences that um, 
you know, depression is like unfelt sadness. It's kind of like sadness that we haven't fully felt. So it just gets stored and it's um, cumulative. It will then turn into irritation and yes. anger. And so um, there is a, you know, a part where, uh, yes, the discomfort is one data to help us look at um, and find out what it is that we do want mm-hmm. to have in life. And also there's another component where um, we also very much just need to feel like feel the yeah. sadness, feel the despair, feel um, mm-hmm. the horror sometimes. So some therapies that was most impactful for me was uh, one called soul mm-hmm. retrieval, which um, my first experience uh-huh. that was with a shamanic practitioner. Uh, what we do is mm-hmm. in a hypnotic state. So a lot of the changes that we quote want to have, um, like to mm-hmm. repattern the mind and uh, the behaviors that we've learned, we're typically yes. going to want to uh, attempt to uh, release the old pattern and create a new one in a theta or delta mm-hmm. brainwave state. So when we do things like mm-hmm. soul retrieval, um, we're, uh, for example, using shamanic drums and drumming, just like, mm-hmm. I don't know, have you ever been to a rave? <laughs> and you hear that, you know, yeah, that, yeah, that totally. repetitive, um, uh, that beautiful. Oh yeah. Drum and bass, a samba, yes. like any African drum exactly. stuff. Like I just go into exactly. a zone. And your brain is actually going into a theta brainwave state. And so when we're in this state, that's Mm -hmm. when we can reprogram the brain. So when we think about tools like, uh, or practices like meditation, meditating and moving your brain Uh from that beta brainwave state of like, do, go, plan, et cetera, to, you know, sliding into Mm -hmm. alpha, which is like that state when you watch a beautiful sunset or, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you hold a baby that alpha brainwave state and then moving uh-huh. into theta, which is like a trance blissful uh, state, which is also the, the mm-hmm. lucid state, like before, um, before you're about to fall asleep or right when you wake up. So mm-hmm. these are potent, um, let's say, um, trap doors into the subconscious. The subconscious runs the show. Uh-huh. And I think it's like about 95% of our, um, of our behaviors and our patterns, they're subconscious. And so if we can mm. get into the subconscious again, like typically through the uh, alpha theta brainwave state, we can uh, um, give it different, give the brain different commands um, and rewire. Uh-huh. So when we do things like soul retrieval, we're going into that theta brainwave state often with the drumming or, or just uh-huh. meditation depends. Um, and I'll say this and then, and then maybe we'll come back to it or not. Time is not real. Okay. And time is not linear. Uh-huh. That's a that's a very Western concept. And so when we think about trauma, is yes, I had, I'm familiar awesome. with that too. So when we think about uh, the way that mm-hmm. uh, we experience trauma, when we are in um, an experience of trauma, the part of the brain called the hippocampus. Um, mm-hmm. But so what what the hippocampus does or doesn't do, let's say, um, when it's not in trauma, it's storing things, memories in the brain. Like okay, it's this time of day. This is what uh, it smelled like. Mm. This is who I was with. Things are, quote, sorted in an orderly fashion. You can imagine like clothes folded into a closet in a nice way. But when we're in trauma and and Mm. in such a high state of fear and seeking safety, uh, that part of the brain kind of shuts off and it's like, 
it just throws all of the mm. memories in different places. So um, you you may have experienced that when we have a catalyst that brings up uh, trauma. It's overwhelming. It's mm. out of time and space. Um, it can feel like you are in just a swirling wave in the middle of the ocean, just trying to come up for air. Um, mm. And because the memory is mm. is just stored, let's just say all jumbled. So when we do soul retrieval, mm -hmm. we're going to go back to that point in time where the trauma occurred. Um, and mm -hmm. we are going to, we, we're recovering and we're literally going to that, that energetic point. We all have electromagnetic biofields where information is stored. Um, and we mm -hmm. go to that point in our electromagnetic biofield where that memory is stored in the way that it is. And so you would then be able to kind of like have a redo. So if you were in a situation where mm -hmm. you couldn't say something, you couldn't stop something, you couldn't run away, you go there and you say mm -hmm. the thing that you would have wanted to say. You really embody your power in that moment. Um, and doing this in, mm -hmm. in this way, in this brainwave state, throughout time and space, reprograms the brain and so any kind of catalyst that's going to come uh -huh. typically what you're going to find is that the uh, reaction to this external stimulus that would um, usually uh -huh. induce like quote a, you know a traumatic state it decreases yeah yeah totally understandable i mean like what's kind of cool about the soul retrieval thing that you're talking about i mean that's pretty much why i pay i mean yeah i sit down yeah and i have a traumatic experience yep. And I go, okay, I want to take this and make a completely positive image yeah. and make these crazy traumatic scenes so pleasant to look at. Like, mm -hmm. but from emotional standpoint, it's I went through war to get to that point. Yeah. But they they'll never know unless I explain it to them. And that's what's kind of cool about how you explain soul retrieval. I'm like, wait, that's exactly what I'm yeah. kind of trying to do. Yep. But unconsciously. I was doing that. So it's, it's kind of neat for you to be able to explain it. Yeah. And um, you, you kind of hit on this, this really cool piece of, um, of your own innate wisdom and how uh, trusting it is important. So, so we talked about kind of like mm -hmm. the, the mental um, wisdom and then the heart wisdom, which is usually going to show up in emotions. And so then there's also the body wisdom. Um, again, the, the gut itself is a neural network system. It's literally a brain. Um, before we even go there, so kind of back to the heart, um, the heart actually sends mm -hmm. more messages to the brain than vice versa. And studies show that. Oh, really? Yeah. The heart also responds to catalysts before the brain. Not only does it do that, mm -hmm. but um, it's it's been shown to respond, keeping keeping in mind, right, this is just based on the scientific tools that we have today. Um, it could advance to, to mm -hmm. find more, uh, more data. Um, so the heart responds to stimulus up to six seconds before the stimulus even arrives. And so uh, when we move to the other brain, uh, which is the body, so the body wisdom, so we've kind of gone around um, the compass of uh, the east, south, west. And if we look at the north, this is the physical experience or the body. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of what the body holds uh, is like literal DNA, right? And so literally mm-hmm. the wisdom of ancestors, um, studies show now that at any given moment, we have the literal memory of 10 generations of ancestors speaking through our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so you can tap into these modalities of our lineage really by tapping into the wisdom of the body. It's all there within you. Mm-hmm. Um, so also when we you know, use modalities like soul journeying, which is um, uh, going into a trance theta state with the support of a particular kind of drumming, you can literally access that information that's in your DNA. Um, and learn these modalities as as you kind of like innately already do. Uh, soul retrieval is certainly a part of indigenous Filipino healing. So no doubt that it's in your blood, right? Like no coincidence that uh-huh. it's something that you're innately inspired to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it has to do with like family trade, so on and so forth. I mean, I mean, I just started art relatively recent. And I found out that my great grandfather was like a like a, a, a really ridiculous artist, and that made me kind awesome. of pumped up. I'm yeah. like, whoa, that's cool! And so, it, it, and me wanted to do stuff too. And so, yeah, you're you're kind of right to know that there's a family lineage behind that. You know, it's like, hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Actually, before we even go to that, I mean, what's your what's your website? I mean, how how do we reach you? Because I know that you're you you don't really go with the social media. Right. You just go with the regular website. <laughs> yeah, um, it's yeah, it's uh, CeciliBasila.com, C E C I L L E B A S I L A dot com, um, and uh, I do mm-hmm. probably should say this in the bio. So I do uh, past life regression. Yeah. Uh, hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. Reiki therapy, sound healing. Um, I do this really cool thing, which I'll, I'll get you on it because I think you'll dig it. Um, it's a uh-huh. voice analysis where I take a voice print mm-hmm. um, and we look at the harmonics in your voice. Oh, that's dope. Uh, it's so amazing. So then we look at like where I would like that. Yeah, it, it looks at what are the mm-hmm. what notes are you quote deficient in in your voice harmonics, just like vitamins. And then we look at the the uh-huh. emotional and physical components that are usually connected to that. Um, and then I'll give you the music that oh. will help to rebalance the harmonics. I'm getting all excited know, because it's, yeah, it's, I, I love, love I love voices. I love yes. I love handwriting. Yes. Oh, let's go. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll oh set that God. up. Yep. Yeah. Cool. with the first half of the two-part interview and one of the things that i really admire about her is she went on a scavenger hunt you know she went to her mom and said hey i think i need therapy her mom says no you're not crazy and she says you know what there's something inside of me that needs some fixing and she went ahead and did it academically Mm -hmm. you know she she studied sociology she studied philippine culture and you know, and she kind of not only did she kind of find help for herself, but, you know, she's helping others as well. And um, so what do you guys what are some of the key points that you guys uh, like to bring up? Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Kevin. 
Well, one point that she brought up that I've actually participated in, and my good friend Justin Castillo had turned me on to it, is shadow work. Oh, yeah. Yes. And shadow work is a very frightening concept. What you think it is when you approach it, you think, oh, it's going to be easy. But it the best way I can describe it is like opening a Pandora's box, mm. meaning that you don't know what you're going to get. Life is not a box of chocolates, according to Forrest Gump, if you do this, because you dip into it and you may be afraid of what comes out because you're going to, you're going to stir up bad feelings. You're going to stir up the things that you want to push down. What you're, when I did it, it's basically you're, you're going to, you're going to go there. And that's what I mean is sometimes, well, you know, don't go there. Well, for a certain amount of time with shadow work, what I've learned is you go there, Mm -hmm. you, you deal with that thing that you push down and you sort of let, let it come out and play in a controlled way so that you can deal with it. That's what I've seen from shadow work. Hmm. It's both frightening to me, but it's also healing to me because it, you, I, you, I, you objectify it, you identify it. You don't just say, Oh, I'm feeling sad today. Well, why? Well, well let's do some shadow work and figure out why. And you, then you, it's called the deep dive mm-hmm. and, pretty in- interesting once you look at it yeah i mean it's basically it's tools equipping yourself to become a better person so when that stuff comes up again you already know what to do you know and that's just pretty dope how about you Derek? oh man you know there was so much so much wealth of information in her interview and i'm really glad that we decided to break it up into two parts because i would hate yeah, to too. cut down this interview into like 20 minutes and then miss a lot of the good stuff but you know toward the beginning of the interview ceci said something to the effect of you know, something like the words depression and anxiety and trauma are very pathological, which yes, <laughs> or patholog. I think she said pathologizing, which yes, I didn't even know it was a word, but hey, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, meaning to say that I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that in a sentence sometime. Yeah, you know, but you know, these three words, depression, anxiety, and trauma. She she had mentioned mm-hmm. the fact that they're words that assume something is wrong with you. And it's an interesting way of looking at these labels that we've become so used to. Of course, you know, she unpacks the foundation of the human existence within the context of these, you know, quote, diagnoses. But I thought it was uh, maybe maybe freeing to know that it's okay to be these things, right? Uh-huh. Um, and know that there's nothing wrong with you. Um, yeah. And, you know, she said one key factor in all of trauma, depression, and anxiety is this concept of being separated from the soul. And mm-hmm. so, again, it's 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 sitting and embracing whatever it is you fall under, whether it be depression, your anxiety or your trauma, but embracing it, feeling it, feeling it. And I love how she had mentioned mm-hmm. that too. feel these things, like don't ignore them. Um, yeah. And it's, again, it's this concept that when we experience these things, again, nothing is wrong with us, but when we experience these things, there's this concept of being separated from the soul. Um, and, and, you know, it just simply means, you know, though we're separated from the soul, we have the ability and opportunity to journey back to reconnection and it's doing the mm-hmm. hard work to get back to that. Uh, it means instead of say, you know, staying separate, you know, if I could use her words, you know, we do everything in our power to find our way to reconnect with our soul again. And whether, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and in many ways that's where God or the concept of spirituality comes in. You know, we want to reconnect mm-hmm. with the soul. And so, Hey, let's reconnect with God. Let's find our way, you know, to, you know, fullness of spirituality, if you will, you know, to use that language. Um, but I just thought that was a very interesting idea of being separated from the soul when we experience these bouts of depression, anxiety, and trauma. So I thought that was very enlightening and, and, and a very 
Very interesting to hear. Yeah, like one of the the cool things that I liked was when she was talking about the soul retrieval. Yeah. And the altering of the brain's chemistry to, you know, reprogram your mind. And I and the first person I thought of, like I did it too, but was your homeboy, Ronnie Robles. It reminded me of what he did when he had the kids write all those negative words that they've been called throughout their, their the course of their life. And then what they did was they went over it and did something positive on top. Yep. And that's kind of, I mean, that's the best part of it. I mean, you know, it's to be able to reprogram your brain and to give yourself a positive attitude so you could be the best version of yourself. That's the real work. Yeah. It's changing that brain chemistry. Mm. Uh, Kevin, was, was there any, anything else that, that uh, you'd like to bring up? Just something about, I like what Derek says about, was it a couple of weeks ago when you said it's okay to not feel okay? Yeah. It's okay to give yourself permission to say, okay, right now I'm going to identify this. I'm going to, it's okay to not feel okay. I have so many times experienced that where I could feel something was brewing, something was wrong. And the, the minute I had, I identified it and I gave myself permission to feel it, it was like the dam broke mm-hmm. and, and all that, emotion came out because I've learned through my medical doctor who has sat me down, especially when I was dealing with grief, he told me of the the sequence of events that somebody goes through when they compartmentalize grief or anger or whatever you, you shove it down. Mm -hmm. And he says Mm -hmm. it it comes out in physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. And he said, as a medical doctor, he would know. And he said, I, I know, speaking of me, he says, I know you to know that when you come back with these physical symptoms, I know that it's not a physical cause that you are not dealing with these mental issues. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was fascinating to me to know that somebody, especially your trusted medical doctor, can have his finger on something so interesting about a person that there's a, a connection. And I always love that when Pastor Derek always says it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Because that's the first step to getting healing is telling yourself, I'm not going to push this down anymore. I'm going to identify it. I like, I also like the words calling it out, mm-hmm. call it out, give it a name yeah. and physically talk to it. It sounds funny, but you, you physically talk to whatever and you call it out. You say, I identify you. I've done that a couple of times and it's freeing to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jerry? You know, Ceci said something regarding healing and I think it's, it's, you know, kind of springboarding from you, Kevin, right? She said healing simply means to become whole again. Right. So mm-hmm. bringing, I love that. yeah. So bringing all of you into one space is very important. And part of that healing means leaning in to all of the discomfort that comes with, for example, depression, anxiety, and trauma. So lean into it, right? Um, because part of the healing process is to embrace it, to, like you were saying, Kevin, to call out these labels for what they are and not allowing them to have dominion over you. And when we get into a place where we can lean into these experiences, then we can, number one, know how they feel, and then two, say this isn't right. This isn't the whole of who I am. I've, I've got to now do something about it. And then you fill in the blanks as to what that process looks like toward becoming whole again, and it's going to differ from person to person. But you know, we ha- it's important in our path to healing to feel it. You know, we've, yes. it, we've ignored you know, these, these inner 
turmoils, I guess, if you can say, or the inner struggles for so long, because, you know, in the name of, you know, being a warrior in the name of, you know, in our context, in the name of being a man. So we are not going uh-huh. to, we're not going to work. We're, we're not going to think about these things because they're so touchy feely. They're so emotional. And as a man and a man from the West, who's a warrior who gets things done, we're going to bottle it mm-hmm. up and we're going to push it down. And we all know that that's not the way to handle, you know, no. depression, anxiety, and trauma. And so, you know, so once we are able to, ex- you know, feel those experiences, I guess, if you want to say it that way, feel the pain, right. Mm-hmm. Then our brain says, you know, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. I need to do something about it. And then again, um, like, like I said, a few moments ago, then we can begin that process um, of, of becoming whole again. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the sayings that our, our society says, you know, like the, you know, uh, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, suck yeah. it up. Yeah, you yeah. know, my big fat Greek wedding is like put some Windex on it, right? But <laughs> yeah. did you really heal? Yeah, you may have gone through it, but did you really heal? Right. And it's like that's where the generational binding, you know, all that kind of stuff comes in. It's like it's gonna end up coming out some way or another, whether it be health reasons, whether it be anger, you know, uh neglect. I mean, there's a lot of like crazy uh, attitudes and behaviors that come based off of, you know, uh, being unhealed. Yep. And so that that's kind of tough too. I mean, hey, Kevin. So, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up, or Derek? Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to revisit the whole. Kevin brought it up earlier about the whole shadow. Um, yeah, the shadow self. The shadow or self. The shadow. Uh-huh. Yeah, but in the context of the West, which I thought was very, very interesting. Right, mm-hmm. the the concept and her association with the Shadowlands being the mm-hmm. Western way because of how the sun rises on the east and it sets on mm-hmm. the west, and so, um, the again the the West being the Shadowlands. In other words, we've we've sent all of these uncomfortable realities that we deem depression and anxiety under the rug, kind of like what they I was saying earlier. Yeah, and we allow mm-hmm. them to lurk in the places that we choose to ignore because they're not generally what we want others to see in us. And yeah. and it's high here in America, which the correlation of the two that Ceci brought up, I thought was very interesting. And, you know, we put the shadow side of ourselves into hiding and we don't really address the parts of us that are keeping us down. And when we ignore the shadow parts of ourselves, we haven't fully lived. And, yeah. you know, I love how she said that. And, and, and hearing that really explained a lot of the issues personally that I've experienced. And I'm still going through mm-hmm. to some extent when it comes to my yeah. mental health. And, and it's just... You know, for her to draw that connection between the high rate of mental issues here in America and it being literally in the shadows of the rest of the world because we yeah. receive the, the, you know, the, the, the latest of the sun, I guess, the sun, as the sun sets, you know, we get the last of daylight and we truly live in the shadow parts of the world. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I would be interested to see how that really measures up, like in terms of maybe scientific data if that truly mm-hmm. is um because i don't know the data right now when it comes to mental health across the world i just know it's really yeah. really rampant right now in america uh for yeah. many many reasons and so that that was one other thing that stood out in the interview for me yeah for me, uh, there, for me there's um two things and the first thing is and i talked to a, a psychologist about this and she mentioned that there's a correlation between the amount of light and daylight hmm. And the amount of darkness and daylight and how depression seems to increase during when you get near the, the winter solstice right. or the less more nighttime or daytime. So there is a direct correlation with that. And also the other part about just 
when you do the the shadow work, there's something about identifying your situations or calling it out. And the beautiful part is, I can remember, I loved hearing her interview because, you know, we all get used to Christian counseling or and we want to hear the spiritual side of it. But it's good to hear scientific explanations toward feelings, too, because there is a correlation. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to this one psychologist who was, she was partly Christian, but not, but didn't really, she gave this really great explanation, specifically about me. She said, a lot of your problems are based upon the fact that you have, you had problems walking when you were a kid. And so everything is focused upon your mobility. And even though I am, and it, it shocked me and I look back and go, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm just glad that, you know, we were able to bring some therapists on, on, on the show just for the fact that it's obvious America needs some therapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, like, come on. I know. And the rest of the world. Obvious with a capital us. O. Yeah. The rest of the world's watching us go cuckoo. Yeah. And it's like, if there's ever a need for us to have therapy, it's right now. Right. And if there's ever a time for us to need healing, it's right now. And if there's, if there's ever a time that we need spirituality, it's right now. Yeah. And it's just so evident. And I'm just glad that that we did it, that we did break this up into two parts. And so the, the next episode is going to be way better than this one. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Part two is going to be crazy. It is. <laughs> so, yeah, stay tuned. Those out there listening, part two is coming in two weeks. Sessie, thank you so much for taking time to jump on. Yeah, thanks, Sessie. Yeah, the show. And guys, again. Thank you. Such a such a invigorating and informative and refreshing as well as a blessed conversation um, that we've had, guys. Don't forget to rate and review our podcasts. Make sure you hit us up on on Instagram. Check out our Facebook group page where we continue these kinds of conversations. Stay tuned for this week. Yeah. We're going to post up a conversation regarding mental health, and don't forget to support the Patreon page. That will help support this show specifically. And as we say every single week, until next time, be the light, extend your hand in love, and make peace with someone this upcoming week. Stay blessed, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.